Hello, and welcome to Desire to Destiny, a podcast where we explore the mystery behind our deepest desires and how they can make us happier human beings. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Larson, but please just call me doctor. If you missed any of our previous episodes, you can find those posted in iTunes or wherever you get your podcast and subscribe to get any of our future episodes. In 1993, the band Radiohead rose to prominence after the release of their hit song titled Creep. Now, in the years that have come since then, many people have speculated about the meaning behind this song. Uh, Many people have attached their own personal feelings behind it. Some have said that it has to do with uh, a guy that was somewhat drunk, that sees a girl that he likes. But some of the earliest reports that came out were that this song was actually written after the lead singer in the band had watched a girl on the college campus, a girl that he liked from a distance, and for a couple of days had even kind of followed her around a little bit, but never got the nerve to say a word to her at all. And then one day, while he's performing, she shows up in the front row of his concert. Awkward. In any case, the chorus reads in part like this, going back to that experience. But I'm a creep. I'm a weirdo. What the hell am I doing here? I don't belong here. Certainly an understandable sentiment if he did write it after following a girl around. In any case, the song was first actually made popular on the radio in Israel. Then later it started to catch on in New Zealand, Spain, Scandinavian countries, as well as the U.S. before it was finally reissued in the U.K. where it originated. The success of this song launched Radiohead onto the international stage. But while the song catapulted them onto this other level of success, like many other musical artists with hit songs that end up becoming synonymous with their band, in time, Radiohead came to resent the success that Creep brought to them. Um, Crowds were asking for it relentlessly over and over again, and they even refused to play the song for many years at a time at many of their shows. Despite their reluctance, Creep remains to this day Radiohead's greatest and most recognizable hit. Uh, It's shown up in different areas of pop culture and movies, and it's been covered by as wide a variety of people as the singing artist Kelly Clarkson and the actor Jim Carrey. Don't believe me? YouTube it. But if the band created such a distance between themselves and their hit song, then what is it about it that kept drawing the audience in, that just kept them coming back for more and more, and resonates over almost three decades uh, later at this point, in the song. Well, maybe there's just something about this sentiment, this sense of unbelonging that resonates with a wider audience. I mean, insecurity is a universal feeling, and there is a sense that we've all had at times that we are out of place, we don't belong, we're a creep or a weirdo for being in a particular situation, and we ask ourselves, what the hell am I doing here? Some form of this question has occupied philosophers for centuries, actually. I'm not talking so much about the awkward social situation version of the question. It's not the, how did I end up at this Christmas party with all these yahoos that I don't really like, that I keep pretending are my friends after I told them, I I told myself I'd call in sick last time. No, I'm talking about the, what the hell am I doing here, and the more existential nature of the question. You know, we've all wondered at times, what am I doing here, at this place in my life? What am I doing with my life? And and where do I go from here? 
This is the kind of question that has perplexed us so many times. And it leads to these other little moments where we feel out of place. But honestly, those are just a taste of the bigger question. What am I doing here? What am I moving towards? What is all this for anyway? Speaking to this larger anxiety, St. Augustine of Hippo suggested a simple answer. You have made us for yourself, he said, in speaking of a divine creator, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Now, maybe that answer won't help you get out of your next unwanted social engagement, but for the bigger questions in life, what would it mean if you were someone who took that suggestion seriously. In the last episode, we looked at a particularly restless period from the life of the biblical character King David. His restlessness led to some pretty unsavory results. At first, he stole the wife of one of his best friends while his best friend was a soldier at war for the country. When he found out that she was pregnant, he decided to try to cover it up. And when that didn't work, he decided to have his best friend murdered and tried to cover that up. Unfortunately for him, this all unraveled and got out into the public, and his life started to fall apart into tatters. But in the midst of all of this, the absolute worst thing that could be said was committed, was put into the biblical record about King David and this particular moment. Uh, The Bible reads, but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Uh, This was so bad because the sole purpose of the king was actually to carry out the Lord's work and law and to rule with justice and righteousness. But what David did in this case was not pleasing. You think? (laughs) I mean, that seems pretty obvious considering the, the whole lineup of things which he had done. But what's shocking to me is not that God is displeased with this behavior. In fact, I don't think there's anybody that would really be shocked at that. Rather, what's surprising is the outrageous claim that God makes in expressing his displeasure with David. He actually commits this message through the prophet to David and says, listen, I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you out of the hand of your enemy, Saul, that was the former king. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms. And I gave you the house of Israel and Judah And listen to this. Here's the kicker. He says, if this were too little, I would have added to you as much more. In other words, God was looking at all these things that David did when he was bored and restless and wondering about what his worth and purpose were when he's off wife stealing and killing his best friend and trying to cover it up. God looks at all of that. He looks past all the actions and he goes right to the heart of it and says, if you wanted more power, If you wanted more success, if you wanted more sexual companionship, all you had to do was ask. I would have given you more of all of it. I mean, really? I mean, is God serious about this? You go back and you read the account. He says, these are all the things I've given you in the past, power and success. And I've given you relationships that you've been looking after. And if that were too little, I would have added to you more. I mean, if God is serious about this, then doesn't this drastically alter the conversation about pursuing desire when we're trying to figure out our place in life and where we're headed and what we're doing 
and we're thinking about how our desires fit into it, how they lead to the satisfactory answer of that question, this is a totally different picture than what we might be inclined to believe. See, if God is the one who says, I would have given you more, if you just asked for it, if you came for it, I would have given you more, then David wasn't wrong for wanting. Uh, God doesn't actually chastise him for whatever it was that he wanted that led him to all of these decisions. He wasn't wrong for even pursuing what he wanted. In fact, God said, why wouldn't you have just come to me for what it was that you wanted? No, but there's a line David crossed, and I bet anybody recognizes all sorts of lines that he crossed, regardless of your religious affiliation or your moral worldview, almost everyone agrees. You don't use your power to coerce your best friend's lover to sleep with you and then have that best friend whacked to cover up your indiscretion. And the only kinds of people who don't agree with that will end up on a horrible Netflix show. And I do not want to meet them in real life personally. Besides, none of the things that David did were in line with his own sense of morality. Instead, he got caught up in a moment of weakness. He pushed past some personal boundaries, kind of fudged on the edge of them, and then he flew way past. And he knew, he knew that this was not what he wanted from his life. This is not how he wanted to get what he wanted from his life. In fact, when David found him in that situ- himself in this situation, after he had gone through all the betrayal and all the deceit and all the lies, he probably found himself asking the question, what the hell am I doing here? How did I get to this situation, to this place? How did I get so far away from what I know brings life and happiness? How did I get here? How do I get out of here? He, he'd seen how... Um, and unhealthy relationship to his desires had run amok and had taken his life completely off course. Thankfully for David, in his personal testimony, he he started listening to some trusted voices in his life and they led him back on uh, a path that was going to actually lead to life and to well-being. And in so doing, in so doing, he discovered that God was more invested in his fulfillment than he originally imagined. He didn't have to take these steps. He didn't have to push to these points. Where David had ruined relationships and lives to seek after woman he thought he desired, God told him simply, I gave you everything you have, and if you didn't have enough, I would have given you more. Now, it may not have been in direct relation to this experience that David had, but he did actually put pen to this sentiment in in writing out a poetic lyric as a part of a song to express this generosity of God. It was an invitation to restless hearts. It's written like this in Psalm 37, 4, where David says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and the Lord will give you the desires of your heart. And in this invitation, we can find that both the uneasiness of our human condition, the the desires, that is, the longings, the whispers, the requests, the hopes of our heart, the insecurities, the wonderings, do I belong here? What am I doing here? Why am I here? Those things that fill us with so much anxiety. And at the same time, at the same time in this invitation, there is a drawing towards peace. There is an opportunity to delight in the presence of divine grace. Find the rest you need. This invitation from David suggests that this release of our anxieties, this acceptance of joy, this delighting 
is the first step towards actually receiving what our hearts are yearning for. It's the foundation of a happy life, one in which desires do not simply stir us to action and burn within us and frustrate us, but they actually lead to the ecstasy of having those desires fulfilled. St. Augustine imagined that our hearts found rest in the presence of divine grace. David agrees but suggests this is only the first step. For after that rest is granted, then the true journey towards happiness and fulfillment can begin. Earlier this season, we looked at the creation story as taken from the book of Genesis and the profound lesson that was being taught there about the value inherent in humanity. Unlike other ancient creation mythologies, this particular story said that human beings were of an elevated and honorable status. In fact, that the way God had gone about creating them and the reasons for creation were to invite humanity into this act of shaping and forming culture, this act of co-creation, that in a very real sense, that the world was not created by God without, without the input of humankind. Now, most of the competing creation mythologies of that time told a very different story. In their tale, humanity was not of any sort of elevated status. Rather, the gods became frustrated with having to take care of the menial tasks on planet Earth and its upkeep. So they created human beings as essentially these peons to take care of their grunt work. And when it was all done, they celebrated in glorious fashion their newfound freedom. In contrast, the end of the Genesis tale of creation involves God instituting a period of rest a rest that he would later later bring as a gift to humanity, a way of saying, this is time for you to come away, to delight in creation, to delight in the good things of life, to be refreshed and pampered and renewed. It was an invitation for them to have a safe place for their dreams to flourish in this now tamed environment where God had removed the chaos and put order in place and function into everything. God invited Adam and Eve and all their offspring to create without fear, to employ their desires in creating expressions of God's grace everywhere. They were to expand and in a sense, complete the creation of God and the work they were invited to do. They were in God's image and were therefore a reliable source to bear witness of God's love. Unfortunately, this situation changed drastically and quickly through the entrance of an evil we know well as shame. The shame did its work to, uh, to disintegrate us from the inside out, negatively impacting both the biological and spiritual nature of desire and impairing our work, our opportunity to show grace and love throughout all creation. Instead, we often would feel that with fear and anxiety and this restless energy. Desire began to run amok in this environment. That desire that was meant to inspire an ongoing act of creation in a secure environment instead often triggers our fight for survival in enemy territory. And it leaves many of us asking, what the hell am I doing here? The confusion is, of course, understandable, given the circumstances. I mean, we're beings driven by desire, a wildfire that is our source of motivation towards happiness. But all the while, we live in a world of limitless options, 
promising to satiate these, these desires. And we have an internal world that has been infected by shame and makes it notoriously difficult for us to identify the true nature of our desires or to determine which options will actually fulfill us, will actually lead us towards that happiness. This is the chaos we live in, and it's a breeding ground for mismatching our desires in a way that diminishes rather than adds to our happiness. So on one hand, we need these desires to make us happy, and we need a hopeful, free, and supportive environment to make this happen. But on the other hand, When these desires are riddled with shame, they become an endless negative energy driving the disintegration of our souls and the destruction of our lives in ways both big and small. This tension we feel in pursuing happiness reminds me of two best-selling books that I saw in spirituality while walking through Barnes & Noble the other day with very different titles describing our spiritual reality. The first one was titled, The Universe Has Your Back with a tagline promising you could transform fear to faith. The second one I saw was titled, When Things Fall Apart. Now, maybe you've read one or the other of these books. Honestly, I haven't read either one. So this is not a critique of the books or what's written in them. It's rather just a reflection on how differently we can phrase or talk about the spiritual reality. Maybe you appreciate the hopeful, optimistic tone of the first one, the idea that There's somebody behind you no matter what. There's something behind you no matter what. That this is all going to turn out for the good and it's all going to be hopeful and happy and joyful. Or maybe you appreciate the pragmatic, what you might call reality-based tone of the second one. Because certainly we've all had times where things fall apart. So you might as well be ready for them. But what I love about the promise from David is how he encourages a consistent course of action, whether it feels like every dream is within your reach or your whole world has crumbled to pieces. Delight yourself in the Lord, David invites. Delight yourself in the one that he calls Yahweh, the one that was present there from creation that instilled humanity with purpose and passion to live a life of happiness. Delight yourself in this one who cares to give you the desires of your heart. And now it it may sound foolish to suggest that delight is our default experience, especially considering all the reasons there are to moan and to groan in pain and anguish. I mean, just right now, the In America, the the pandemic, or throughout the globe, really, the pandemic and the racial injustice, personal concerns we live with of health and family, job security, um, and a myriad of other things. The list goes on and on. We can't escape all of these. And many of these experiences involve deep pain and real sorrow. In many ways, then, this invitation to delight may sound like escapism, like uh, a, a lack of being in touch with reality. How could Someone expect you to delight in all of this. But this reveals a fundamental misunderstanding of what this invitation to delight is really all about. In some ways, this word here, delight, is a difficult one to nail down. At one level, it simply means being pampered, refreshed, renewed. It can refer to savoring really good food, something you really enjoy, your favorite dish, and carries the idea of going out to your favorite restaurant or to a spa or to some retreat center where all of your needs are just taken care of. 
And it also refers to the idea of living softly or delicately. But this can have kind of a reference to weakness. It can imply living in a state of vulnerability, one that can make us susceptible to even being mocked or made fun of because things are not as we might like them to be. You could see how this state of being is certainly appropriate, both in the midst of joyous times where everything seems to be going your way and you're just riding on cloud nine, but also in the most difficult seasons as well. Because delight can be about a celebration of achievements. It can be about the time where we pass significant milestones and we just want everyone to come and celebrate and enjoy with us. It can be about dreaming and possibility, about hope and optimism. But it can be the other side of the coin as well. It can also be a safe place when things fall apart. When we are grieving a loss. When we are unsure about a relationship. When we're feeling hopeless about our future. I mean, in those times, do we not need refreshing, renewing, even pampering? Don't we need gentle care that reminds us of our worth, our identity, our value, at a difficult season like that, most of all? You see, more than anything, this invitation suggests that we can live in a more peaceful state of mind in all seasons of life. Think about it. What if you didn't have to live in a constant state of anxiety, stress, all the time? What if your daily experience could have an energy of renewal regardless of the circumstances? What if delight could be a permanent state of being? And maybe some of those things are not always on you. Maybe stress and anxiety are coming and going. But what if that delight, that lightness could be more of your moment-by-moment experience? And what if, what if on top of that, in addition to this delighting, what if reality was more generous than we think? Delight yourself in the Lord, and the Lord will give you the desires of your heart. That's what this promise dares to believe, an extreme generosity. It affirms that your desires are good for you, And that seeking to have them fulfilled is a healthy pursuit. But it dares to suggest even more. It dares to suggest that God's will is for your true desires to be fulfilled. And even more than that, that God wants to be the one to fulfill those desires. This is not a denial of the way shame and evil can distort desire. This doesn't deny the chaos and confusion we feel at times trying to sort all this out, trying to figure out what our individual desires are, how they relate to the moments when those desires lead to crushing disappointment, when they don't feel like they're fulfilled, or we try to fulfill them on the wrong things, and it throws us into a tailspin of all different kinds. It doesn't deny that that those moments happen. Instead, this promise is wedged right in the middle of this ongoing tension we all live through. It's the promise of a loving, generous, divine presence available to each of us in the midst of the chaos and confusion. It's a promise that a friendship with our desires starts in a friendship with God. Now that's easy enough to say, but what does it actually mean? This idea of a friendship with God. And some of you might be who are listening to this might be really comfortable with that. You might've just made that conclusion on your own. 
Others might agree with it, but at the same time say, I don't know how it's helpful because I haven't been able to figure out how to start a friendship with God. And some of you might say, I don't really see God needing to be a part of it or see God as a part of the picture at all. Some will hear this idea of friendship with God and they'll take it as a surrendering of desire. I've got God. That's all I need. You know, I don't really need anything else. God is the fulfillment of all the desires. And the truth is they lose touch with themselves. They don't bring all of them to the relationship. Others will look at this as an opportunity to use God for their happiness. Oh yeah, delight yourself in the Lord and the Lord will give you the desires of your heart. Okay, good. Like, you know, this is the magic vending machine. Good. I'll do whatever it takes to delight in God because I got some things I really like God to do for me. And still others simply don't trust God enough to try this out. They're not ready for this kind of relationship with God. They're not ready to even claim this kind of God or believe in this kind. And I get it. I get it. I meet with people all the time that find themselves in all these places and more. And so here's my invitation to you. If there's any chance that this is true, why not give it a chance? Why not create some pl- some space uh, to explore that possibility? Maybe for you, that looks like more self-exploration so that you can bring all of you to God. Maybe it's difficult for you to show up in these kinds of relationships, not just with God, but with others where you get overwhelmed and you lose yourself into whatever that relationship is. And you really need to go on a journey of self-discovery through journaling or personality tests or counseling or whatever it is. You, you need to get more sure and secure in who you are so that you can actually have the chance to bring that to God. Maybe you're somebody on the other end of that spectrum. And for you, it's really a surrender of control so that you don't keep taking the place of God. Maybe you're not so good at practicing vulnerability, at opening up to others, at humbling yourself, at admitting you don't know everything. Maybe you need the practice of that kind. And you need to open yourself up maybe in community or actually submit yourself to the possibility of God. And maybe that's an opening for some who are not even sure if God exists. Maybe it's time for you to experiment with prayer, with reading of scripture, sitting with a spiritual director, exploring some of these things that are stirring in your heart. Because what if there was a God there? that wanted that kind of friendship, that kind of relationship with you. So where are you at? What kind of step do you need to take, whether it's self-exploration or surrender of control or opening yourself up to the possibility of what might be there, what friendship with God might look like? Now, wherever you find yourself on this journey, I hope you will continue with it. I hope you will continue exploring and learning more about your desires and how you can engage them in a way that will lead to increased happiness in your life. And to that end, I want to make myself available to help um, personally in a few different ways. Number one, I have an offer for the first 10 respondents uh, to take something called the Reese Motivational Profile. This is a profile that I highlighted earlier in the season that helps you in identifying the different desires that 
are working the strongest in your life. It's a profile that looks at 16 scientifically uh, proven desires that are universal. They're found in every person to varying degrees and helps you understand the way they're working at your life. And I'm going to, to the first 10 respondents who write back to me at desire to destiny at ramada.org. I'm going to offer to do this with you free of charge and go over the results with you in a one-on-one Zoom session to help you better understand the way these desires are at work in your life. Now, these personality tests are just a one-time offer, but on an ongoing basis, as a spiritual director, I host a time with people that I like to call soul sessions. And it's a time where you're able to explore and discern the presence or the possibility uh, of the presence of God in your daily life. It's a space for people who have had a long relationship of faith with God or long-standing questions about God. Either way, it's a safe space where you can explore those questions and have somebody attentively listening and paying attention to the ways that God is or may be moving in your life. If that's something that you'd like to explore and go deeper in, I'd encourage you to check out more um, on the website, ramada.org, and look under Soul Session. Or if you got questions, you can shoot them my way once again at uh, desire to destiny at ramada.org, and I'd be happy to answer anything I can for you. Finally, I hope you'll join us for season two coming out in just a few weeks here in September as we continue to explore what kind of a God would this have to be for us to take this invitation seriously, for us to want that relationship, for us to trust and take a chance at it. We're going to go deeper into that in season two and continue to explore uh, what it takes to uncover, discover, uh, and empower our desires to lead us towards a happier life. So thank you so much for coming along for season one. It's been great to have each one of you. Um, As always, uh, you can subscribe, share it with your friends, let them know about the podcast. And I'll look forward to checking in with you guys again in just a few short weeks. Always love to hear your comments or questions at desire to destiny at ramada.org. And I wish you the best in discovering your desires and embracing them and seeing how they lead you to be a happier human being.